Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Library Access, a KeyForge podcast brought to you by thekeyforge.com. Like always, uh, I'm Nick. I'm here with Alex. Hey, what's up? And Steven. How's it going, everybody? Uh, Like we've mentioned before, our Patreon is live at patreon.com slash thekeyforge. If you like what we do and you want to see more of it, feel free to drop a dollar in our tip jar. Um, It's been an exciting week for KeyForge week, maybe give or take a couple of days. I think we're a little late on the news, but there was a pretty significant uh, rules update released, um, which addressed a lot of, I don't know if you'd call it controversial, but a lot of hot topic cards and mechanics and all that. Um, yeah, I, I trust that you guys have heard all about it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I, uh, I have a big list here um, of the kind of a summary, uh, and I won't read it all, but I think and we should touch on a couple of them uh, for sure. Yeah, I think the most significant one, correct me if there's a more interesting one, but Biomatrix Backup, um, which is a, gosh, I should have had Biomatrix Backup, the card pulled up already to read what it actually says because everything that references reads like the the new definition-ish of it. Um, but the original card says, it's an upgrade, a Mars upgrade that says, this creature gains, destroyed, you may put this creature into its owner's archives. And up until now, um, I, I guess it's based on how the rules are written, or maybe it's just because of the way all the other mechanics work in the game. But it was it was perceived or argued that uh, it was the attacker uh, who got to decide how that card resolved. You know, you may put this creature into its owner's archive. So if you're attacking your opponent who has added that upgrade to their own card, you as the attacker gets to decide what happens to that card. Uh, and I think the majority of people like really disagreed with that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, we, they accepted it, but I think the only people that really fought like for that stance were just, you know, I don't know if you'd call them trolls, but just kind of those those kinds of people who just wanted to be uh, con- conflicting or controversial or whatever. But anyway, now it says um, this creature gain. It essentially says this creature gains destroyed. Put this creature into its owner's archives. Um, and actually, is that is that exactly what it says? Uh, I'm reading a summary. Yeah, the the old card was that you may put this creature into its owner's archives. And since it was being activated on the opponent's turn, they had the choice on may. The errata just takes out the may part. It just goes destroyed, put this creature into its owner's archives, period. Interesting. Uh, I actually... Um... Interesting. That's that's a different interpretation than I had like walked away from it with the first time I got that. Um, I see it right here in the in like the official rule book. That's exactly what it says. I thought the emphasis was more on the you, and I thought it still allowed you know the you know the owner may put this card in its owner's archives. But I guess for the sake of keeping the game with no interrupts, anything like that, uh, they they changed it like that, which is a super significant change. Mm-hmm. Correct. What I thought it was just being, you know, just kind of clarifying that it's like, you know, the person who plays this card gets to decide. Um, that's that's not a big, you know, shift in the, in the, the, I don't know, the rules of the game. Like it didn't drastically change it, but now it's it's a card that says one thing and means something completely different. Um, yeah, it, it originally it originally was meant to. Um, Brett Anders came out and said like, no, this card is not working as intended. So I'm glad they fixed it. Um, but yeah, because there is no interaction when it's not your turn, the opponent, even though you put the card down, your opponent has a choice because it's their turn. 
So now with the new clarification, it just goes, it is now in your archives, period, done, nothing fancy. That way it's keeping within the terms of the rules. Let me ask you guys a quick question related to that, because I, one, I think it's super significant that this is the first real errata that we've seen. Like we've seen tons of rules clarifications and them saying like, oh, you know, this word, you know, is more important than this word. So if there's two conflicting things, then, you know, this one takes precedence, etc. But the first time we've actually say, no, this is a mistake and future printings will presumably have this fixed. Um is there any scenario you can imagine where you would not want, if you had placed Biomatrix backup onto a card, it to go into your archives or the owner's archives? I can't think of the name of the card, but there's um, there's a Sanctum card that does it and there's a Mars card that does it. And it would be super applicable in this scenario where you reap and you take an opponent's creature uh, and put it into your archive. And when you pull your archive, it goes, yeah, it goes back into their hand, I think. Yeah. Yeah, whenever you access your archive, if there's any of your opponent's cards, your opponent's cards go back to their hand, just as you would get your cards back. So I guess if you're playing like a high cycle deck, you might want it to go to your discard because there's a better chance of you getting it back than where you've got a bunch of his cards stashed in your archive. Yep. Right. Essentially, it just yeah. it's almost like it's, you know, banished. It's put out of play almost, you know, unless you want to just give them a giant boost. Um which I, I don't know, you could, depending on the deck, it'd have to be a real specific situation, but you could play that to your advantage where you want to cycle through your deck quickly. You know, you want to get that, um, what is it, Glorious Few, that Sanctum card that for, I don't know, that's, I, I mentioned that because of the card I've been interested in lately. It's a card that gives you one, I think, for each uh, creature and excess your opponent has mm -hmm. of you. So I just like to sit back and let them build up a giant board line and play that. So I, in this scenario, I would want that card even more quickly. So assuming I've got, you know, by a couple biomatrix backups and I have Mars and I have Sanctum and I have Glorious Few. You know, the situation is pretty unlikely, I guess. Um, you might, it might be to your advantage to shove those cards into your archive and, you know, not have that much greater of a chance of drawing, you know, the cards you're looking for. But that's such a, such an unlikely scenario, I guess, that nobody would play it that way. They might just, you know, see the, I don't know, see the opportunity and go for it, but nobody's playing their deck around like, oh, I'm can't, I have to archive this card so I can have 35 instead of 36 to to, to pull from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the archives in general is one of the least used abilities in this game because of how powerful it is. Like being able to have the choice of putting cards in the archive really defines a deck's like play style. If you've got a lot of cards that are able to kind of abuse the archives slot, like for good or for bad, say using Zookeeper to put your opponent's cards into your archive and then just leave them there or Biomatrix to be able to, you know, be able to pull your cards back quicker. Um, I think that it is a good change that the Biomatrix backup was able to just say flat out, this goes into your, into your archive because it gives a little bit of wiggle room and play with Maybe you don't want to put a Biomatrix backup on a big key monster of yours because you have a couple creatures, you know, that Zookeepers put in there have gotten into your archives from some other card. Um, and I think the wording on it gives a much better emphasis on play than the choice that May gives, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does drive a certain way of playing with the card, which I think is interesting. I'm 
kind of fascinated by the idea that this may be the very first case that we're aware of where a card as we know it will cease to exist in the way we have known it in Keyforge. I mean, we don't know if future pressings of Keyforge will omit or replace or alter other any other card yet. This is the one we know of where, you know, I have to assume that future printings will have the proper text as it's meant to be played on it. Is this the very first time that we know a card is changing forever in the game of Keyforge? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely the first time we've been made aware of it. There's other things you can assume. Um, which might make a fun, like a fun article topic or something, just, you know, purely speculation. But I can think of a couple cards that are going to be, um, I don't know what will happen, but they're going to be altered in some way, whether it be their, their rarity, um, their, you know, current lack thereof. You know, I think they might, there'll be some common cards that I think make it onto rare, um, like bait and switch. I, I think, you know, I could be wrong. They could love the way it disrupts the game. But I would guess, you know, it is so freaking common and such a disruptive card that I, I would bet in, in future shadows, reproductions, whatever, future sets that in, that have the card itself, it'll be a rare or something like that. Um, I would guess maybe library access, time traveler, stuff like that. Just those really common kind of abused cards in an attempt to kind of disrupt the meta. Um, maybe not, though. Um, it would really depend on the other cards that are introduced in the set. Uh, if there's equally as valuable cards because i guess you can't just nerf you know nerf the um popularity of cards and i might not be answering your question at all um because i'm just i'm talking about you know that how how frequently they appear or something like that you're talking about just being drastically changed um like the card itself there so, are certain sorry to cards. take that no, 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 no. I, I, I totally get where you're coming at it from because they're all related topics, right? Like this is one of those things that we have to sort of keep considering is how will the cards as we know them change and how is that going to affect deck makeup? How will the algorithm get tweaked and how it puts these cards together? I think I'm just mostly psyched on the Biomatrix backup one because it really does feel like a sort of a little bit of a turning point in the game of Keyforge. We finally have a moment where we know things are changing forever and it's not this abstract rules thing it is this very definitive measurable thing where if you buy a starter set that's printed you know in august of this year and it comes with a biomatrix backup card you will be able to tell oh yeah this is from the first printing because it has the may text on it whereas this one must be from a later printing i love that yeah yeah that's super interesting um it'll be interesting if there's other cards that meet that same fate um and it would be probably because they're for a completely different reasons because they're too overpowered or underpowered or something like that. Um, cause as it stands, I can't think of a lot of cards that are just, you know, they're, they're like game, like rule breaking, not game breaking, but rule breaking kind of like this one and just requiring interaction. Well, they fixed the other during, one. You know, the, the, um, Restringus and pit Lord and then Restringus and, uh, call the week. Yeah, that's that's different though. Those you know those cards are going to keep the same text. I imagine that was more of a clarifying a rule thing that the you know can't versus can or may or whatever. Yeah, it definitely, be. it's definitely more much more of a clarification and giving a precedence to cannot always goes above can. It's I think cannot versus must, 
And this is one of the things about the rules update that I'm also kind of fascinated by is that's a very fiddly thing to have to clarify in the rules and is not obvious um, unless you're being very clear and reading all of the rules text as it currently exists. And I think that's going to be one that people are going to be quoting for a long time. Like that's going to be playground knowledge when people are playing Keyforge with like unfamiliar opponents and stuff like that. Cannot versus must just seems like I understand why they had to clarify it because that risk that lockout combo was, was kind of like, it's kind of a bullshit combo. I'm just going to say it, but also it's not a thing that comes intuitively and is not a thing that's super obvious unless you're really digging into the rules. And I, I wouldn't say it bothers me, but it is one of those things that almost flies in the face of how simple Keyforge seems on the surface. Well, and it also mm-hmm. opens up design space for later sets. Now that they've definitely cemented that cannot is always above must. Um, it allows them to write more cards with both those keywords, being that they have a defined order now. So... Them, them changing it is definitely more advantageous. Yeah, um, there's a bunch of other ones on this list. Uh, amber card, amber on cards that may be spent on keys, like safe place, um, which is a shadows artifact that lets you. I don't have the card pulled up right here, but it lets you uh, once per turn you can use the action and pull one of your amber from your pool over to the card, and it just you know exactly like the name says, it's a safe place that it can't be stolen from, and it says you uh, you may spend amber on this card when forging a key um which is kind of a weird not not for the reasons they've clarified but it's a it's a weird card text to begin with because it it makes it sound like you can take amber from your pool and put it onto that card when you spend it and it's i I think they could have worded it better but it's it's not confusing enough that anyone's like argued about it but now it says um if you have amber on somewhere like safe place, it must be spent uh, if the total combined amber is enough to forge a key. So if you have, you know, five in your pool and you have one on safe place, you have to use it to forge a key. Uh, and I saw somebody asking in the Facebook group. They even tagged Brad, and I don't think he responded. Um, but if it's on safe place, uh, is it? And this this raises another question: If it's on safe place, do you have to? like declare check to your opponent. And I, I asked, I didn't care about the answer to that, but I asked uh, my own question on there and I never got a response, which I think has been asked a couple of times. And it's never been clarified. I have a good idea what the answer is, but my question to him is, you know, is check a rule or is it a, a courtesy? Because if it's a rule, the, you know, the penalty for not declaring check surely can't be, you don't get to forge a key because that would be to someone's benefit, you know, for a Caliphy dragon, for example. Um, but you know how, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a weird thing. And I, it's one of the things that I kind of gripe about when it comes to Keyforge, uh, because there hasn't been anything super definitive about it. I, I would say it's, it's just a courtesy, uh, even though they put it in the rule book for some reason, it's just a, you know, Hey, let me help you out. Let, let me let you know this. Um, but it, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, of, of the mindset that you you and your opponent should both be doing your kind of due diligence keeping track of the board and you shouldn't know what's going on and it's almost to your advantage to i mean well it's obviously your advantage but there there are times when like i can tell my opponent doesn't realize i have six amber on it and it's it's not because i have some weird amber tokens that are stacked in a strange way that he can't count them it's just he's not paying attention and that's drastically going to affect you know the way he plays his turn or not i i so i i would hope that it would just you know it would be uh 
kind of an adult way to play the game, I guess an adult rule. And it's just like, Oh, you know, pay attention, do your homework. If, if you miss it, you miss it. But it's, uh, I'm, I'm curious if it's actually a rule or if it's just a, just kind of a courtesy. No, it, it definitely, it has to be in the rule in that regard. Like if you have the ability to make a key next turn through any means other than hidden information in your hand, say like a key charge or something crazy like that, like if you have safe space or the logos one that does the same thing, uh, pocket dimension, and you have three on there and three on your Archon card, call check. You you are publicly showing that you can make a key next turn. I mean, there it's it, I'm publicly sh- I'm publicly showing that I can make a key by having amber down on the board by having six amber yeah, down there. So called check. I'm, it's not a secret that. Well, I mean, I've been calling check. I've been screaming check. You know, the entire turn because I've got three on safe place that he can see and three on my pool. But at the end of the turn, you are required to still call check. Now, is there... Am I, am I required? That's my whole question. And like, it's, you're you're given kind of a real definitive response to it and there's not one. Like you're saying, I must call check. Like it's, it suggests in the rules that you call check, but it's, I don't know what, what's the penalty for not calling check? Because you, you can't, you can't stop me from forging a key. What what you can do is disqualify me, and that seems like yeah, a that that'd be way too. That seems like too a, harsh. an extreme reaction in chess. Um, check is not actually a thing that you are required to declare, um, and is usually not done in formal games. Like the assumption is that if you're playing at a formal or high level game, then it's your opponent's responsibility to notice that he's in check or that you've got him in check. Um, but I mean, I don't know how much we can map over from chess because we're only borrowing the terminology. Like it's not comparable. Check is basically end state game in chess. Sure. Like either you have to do something or the game is literally over. Whereas, you know, you can be in check three times or more, depending on if people, you know, claw back Amber from you or play Miasma and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily 100% mappable. But uh I, I'm very curious to know the answer to that myself, Nick, because I have yet to be in a situation where it has affected a game. Like I watch my opponent's Amber like a hawk, especially once since once I got messed up by Pocket Universe, the uh, Logos card, where you do the same thing as with Safe Space, right? Like you can just use it to to stock up on Amber and then use it to forge keys when it's key forging time. And I lost a game badly because I wasn't paying attention to what to my opponent was doing with that. So. But yeah, there has to be there has to be some clarification on that. My personal feeling is if they came out and said it's just a courtesy and you don't have to do it, it wouldn't bother me. It means that I have to be a good player and pay attention to what my opponent is doing. Um, I will be interested to see if it's anything other than yeah. that. And, and I'm not disagreeing with you that you should be taking care of your own board state and keeping an eye on things. But I mean, quite literally in the rule book, page five, step five, draw cards. When a player's turn ends, if that player has enough amber in their pool to afford a key, and I would consider their pool to be also the safe space and pocket dimension stuff, the player announces check so that their opponent knows the foraging of the key at the start of the next player's turn is imminent. It it says it directly in there. There is no punishment for it. I, I don't. I mean, it does. You know, I was expecting you to you to really shut me down and say that it says you know the 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 player must must declare check and it was really like a way more soft you know at this point the player would declare check like it it to me sounds like it's very much a courtesy the way I mean, that's written. The, the word check only appears three times in the in the document 
in the specifically the new document and twice in the old one um because there's another check call that got added to the faq but yeah that's that is quite literally all it says is that when a player's turn ends the player announces check but it says clearly in there if the player has enough amber they announce check it's also in one of those little sub areas so i mean i i think this is a something that's going to be debated back and forth until ffg gives us an official ruling on it or gives us some sort of penalty and i really hope there's no penalty for it because the that allows you to mitigate like do i not call check so i can't forge a key this turn Ah, huh, maybe i want to play this dragon that's in my hand i'm not going to call check this turn you know just so you get just so like oh wait i didn't call check i guess i can't forge a key guys like that that also seems awful. right well that's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing, like whether they want you to require you to call check or not. It's one of those things that has no real, you know, good, good enforceable punishment or penalty for not doing it. You know, you can't you can't stop them from forging a key. You can't disqualify them. You can't end the game. Well, I mean, you could totally disqualify them. They didn't follow a rule. I think that's insanely harsh. And if an ETO does that, they are out of their gourd. But they didn't follow a rule. You give them a warning. They didn't follow rule again after you gave them a warning. You know, like, I think they're out of their gourd if they even try that, but they're within their rights? Question mark? I don't know. Even saying it, I don't like it. Uh, but. I think people would lose their minds if they did it. They, people would fight super hard about it. But you can't, you know, there's no there's no good punishable, you know, punishment, whatever you'd call it. You, you know, people suggesting, you know, give them a chain if they don't do that. It's like, no, that, you know, that, that's, I don't know. I, I would guess they'll come out and clarify that it's, uh, you know, as, they might update the rulebook to say, like, as courtesy, you know, the player would inform the other, you know, the opponent. I, I'd be fine with an as courtesy thing. But like I said, as it says in, in right now, the rules do say you have to announce Chuck without being no, they, saying they don't, harsh they to don't say. They don't say you have to announce. Check. It did. It, it's it real. It no. It like read it as it is. I don't mean I to argue so much. But no, it, I'm happy to argue. That's what I'm here for. Um, right. I mean, it. it I, I don't have it in front of me like you do, but it, the the way you've read it over and over again, it's it's really just suggesting like a you know, I, I'm I'm picturing it in the context of like a you know welcome to Keyforge like a first time you know hand holding kind of thing you know at this point you know it's right up there with you know you draw a card like it's just real basic stuff and it's saying you know then the the player you know would announce check it's just like that that if we want to really pick that wording apart it's it's very clear that it's just it's a it's kind of a you know a suggested but not a you know it's not it doesn't sound like a requirement to me honestly if i could interject here for a second what I think is really interesting is that, uh, Nick, what you're saying is really opening up an area that I've never considered before, which is the, what is the penalty for not doing things that are so intrinsic and basic to gameplay that we take them for granted that people will do them? Things like drawing cards, things like shuffling your deck. You know, I mean, obviously there are tons of ways that people could cheat in and around those things, but because there hasn't been any major organized play outside of at a regional store level yet, and like there's no worlds of Keyforge yet, although there's been some news in and around that this past week, you know, uh, it sort of makes me wonder, will there be a set standard for minor infractions, 
major infractions. You brought up the idea of perhaps you get chains for certain infractions. Maybe you forfeit the match if you're shown to be doing things in a way that could be construed as a pattern of cheating or trying to cheat the game. Much like Steven said with his, oh, maybe I will uh, forego forging a key so that I can get the Kelphie dragon out on my next turn. That's all stuff that we don't know about yet. Oh, if someone does that to me, I'll call a judge immediately. Like that, I, I would hopefully want them to have a warning and it to be reset the first time. But if he's already been like, if I say he, I apologize. Uh, if the person has already been put into that position and already been given a warning, they're obviously cheating. And I hate to say that cheating is a thing that's going to happen in any game, but it's something that's going to happen in every game. It doesn't matter. Anything that has competitive people will go and they will try and win in any possible way, unfortunately. And it, it will cause these problems that we're talking about. Not now, definitely, but later on, these questions are going to ha- come up at some point and they'll need to be talked about with FFG for good or for bad. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, I, I'm kind of a player who will give a lot more trust to my opponent. Um, and take things as benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, if I'm going, if I'm at a world's stage, I want the game to be as fair and clean as possible. And if I notice someone cheating, like I I will be nice about it, but I will call them out on it. And it's after that, it's up to a TO to take it out of my hands. It's on them, not me. Yeah, and thankfully with Keyforge, there's not a lot of moving parts in the game. You know, I can, you know, you you gave some examples, and I think those are like the majority of the examples. You know, there's some card interactions you could, you know, conveniently ignore, I guess. But, you know, drawing, uh, you know, forging your key, things like that. Like, you've got like, what, three, four, five at most of the these kinds of, not, you know, interpret it for what I'm actually saying, but of these kind of like, optional things that happen they're you know they're not optional at all but they're things that you could easily you know quote unquote forget and move past that could benefit you in some way you know you want less cards in your hand because you know you're about to you know interact with your own hand or something you know something like that um but my point is as things develop especially you know as things get more serious this year um you know the the card pool is so small that it'll you know people will be able to very quickly recognize the trends recognize the ways the ways that people are trying to cheat and trying to purposely misinterpret rules or cards and you know we'll have two or three of them that we know to look out for we'll know that it you know like right now i bet you don't pay attention to how many cards your opponent has in their hand but if that you know if in the next couple of months a, a a weird kind of cheating meta develops where it's to their benefit to you know accidentally underdraw to five cards or something you know, that's a a specific example, but it's uh, you know one that I think could be a thing. It will start being a thing where the opponent becomes more you know, or you as the player starts being way more aware of how many cards your opponent has in their hand. You know, it'll be right up there with you counting their amber. You know, before you know before the beginning of your turn or at the end of their turn or whatever, you'll also watch them draw up their cards and make sure they have the appropriate amount. Because you know, right now we do make sure you know you're you're hyper aware of it when you have a. Uh, um, God, what's the what's the discard that makes the is it succubus that makes them draw yeah, one less? Succubus makes them draw one less. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Bars okay. When you have one of those randomly, which would also fit into this. Okay. Yeah. When you when you have one of those out, you know you're you're hyper aware of what they've got. But just in general, I think we'll we'll really quickly find the few ways that people are cheating. 
I think it'll get more and more complicated as the game develops and the card pool, you know, grows to a thousand, twelve hundred, two thousand, whatever it ends up being. Um, but right now, with you know whatever it is, three hundred, four hundred cards, something like that, um, we'll we'll quickly figure out the ways people will try to cheat, and uh, you know it'll just be like a a cheating meta and like a cheating cheat proof meta where everyone will just realize, you know, here's what I have to do to protect myself during the game to make sure my opponent's not cheating. Yeah, I um the one thing that I think is really ripe for cheating um and I do not for a second believe that Keyforge will have an excessive cheating problem any more than any other competitive game that exists. Like I I think the point that uh uh one of you made uh I don't remember who just now uh is well well taken that just cheating is a fact of life in competitive environments and it happens in every human endeavor where cheating is a possibility be it sports be it games you know it is just a literal fact of the human condition so this is not a criticism of keyforge or the construction of keyforge when we talk about cheating in that way but the one area that i think that is especially ripe for it is chains people will forget quote unquote their chains and the reason i know this is because i myself through no effort to cheat have forgotten about my chains in play and i had to be reminded mm-hmm. and i was woefully embarrassed the opposing player was very cool about it and uh, took me at my word that this wasn't me trying to to screw with them or get around having played gateway to disc or something like that that had accumulated me some chains but yeah uh, it was embarrassing for me but it is one area where i don't know that people are intentionally paying close attention to their opponent's chains as of yet and i have seen some chain heavy decks multiple gateways to disc multiple uh um well save the pack that's the the untamed one that destroys every damaged creature is it yeah yeah or coward's end you know undamaged creatures um it's just going to be something that we're all going to have to start looking for Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm right there with you i i miss my chains more often than not uh and i think it's partially due um Maybe not because I miss them and I do something differently. I don't use a chain tracker. I think they're kind of silly. Um, I take a dice with the amount of chains I have and I stick it on top of my deck. So I like literally can't draw without noticing it and reminding myself. And that usually fixes it. Um, but I, I'm also like really, really unaware of how many chains my opponent has when they have them. You know, they can announce them. They can set their chain tracker up, put a coin on top of their deck, whatever they do. Um and I just, it's one of those things that like, it just, it hasn't existed in a game that I'm aware of, you know, that I've participated in. So it's just not something that's ever really on my radar. Um, and it doesn't come up enough to like yet to really, you know, I guess again, to be on my radar, you know, Amber, you're, you're hyper aware of the Amber because it's the most integral part of the game. Like you're always aware of yours and theirs, but with change, it, it appears, you know, maybe maybe once every couple games you know sure there's times where it occurs frequently but for the most part i think people play around like giving themselves chains that's not a, not a super common thing to see so you're not it's not familiar enough uh i mean for me at least but i think maybe as we continue to like have to deal with it it'll be uh uh more you know more on our radar and kind of like you said especially if it starts being purposely abused 
I, I think for the most part, you know, I haven't, I haven't really played anyone that's, that's sketched me out. I played one, one person that I've talked about on here that play, like misplayed a lot of the card interactions and like misread a lot of the mechanics to the point where I wondered if it was on purpose. And I think their dad who was there that same night was in the same boat, which also kind of works in their favor because it's possible they just played together and they both just learned it wrong. They had said they'd played it since the very beginning, so I don't know, but that doesn't matter. But aside from that, I haven't had anyone that's like really skeeved me out. You know, I've had people say like, "Oh shit," you know, I you had succubus out, and I've for the last two turns I've drawn, and I, you know, I've I've drawn up to six cards, and I'll say, "Oh, dude, doesn't matter." You know, thanks for saying that. Um, I haven't had anyone that I've I've noticed. You know, like all right, draw up to six, and then. You know, I, I've never walked away from that with the vibe that like, oh man, they knew what they were doing. Like they wanted that those six cards. They were doing that on purpose. And that's because the majority of what I've played personally hasn't been super competitive. I think we've done like three or four real tournaments and all the rest has been like real casual play and everyone's kind of learning. So you're not, you know, you're not at your best game, probably the majority of people. Um, you're, you know, you're not foaming at the mouth and you know, teeth gnashing, ready to ready to pounce on people who misplay. Uh, so I don't think you know you're you're kind of in a teaching mode more than anything. Maybe I think the majority of people are, but it'll it'll be interesting to see what kind of. I keep using the phrase "cheating meta," and I'm already sick of hearing myself <laughs> say it. But for lack of a better phrase, it'll be interesting to see what kind of cheating meta like arises from this and how people, you know, play and try to purposely misinterpret cards and rules and yeah. mechanics and effects and i don't stuff think like at least that. right now people are not misinterpreting cards badly on purpose i think it's just they're misinterpreting and this is goes back to what we were saying the last week or a couple weeks ago about the words of the cards being so important in any card game they are seeing the word and they have their own meaning for the word and what it means to them and they're putting that interpretation on it so it'll take some time and fantasy flight will clarify a lot more of these wording issues and the they'll, they'll get keywords down a lot a lot better so i think as the game starts moving into the time of triumph you're gonna see a lot less of that happening i mean i think you're mostly right um i will say and i've seen it in the facebook group a lot um people will argue the definition of cards uh, and mechanics and stuff like that oftentimes oh yeah, yeah i think yeah, it's, it's it's happening less so now that there's kind of a consensus about how you know, there's how rules work and you, you can't really pull the veil over anyone's eyes anymore because most people are, you know, like I said, the card pool is so small. There's only, you know, however many mechanics to pick from. There's not a lot to learn once you've, you know, kind of dug dug your hands in. Um, but at, at the beginning, I remember seeing a lot of it. And it was cards like Biomatrix Backup and stuff like that where the biggest argument was being made on like their own behalf. Like, oh, I was playing this game and I, you know, I... They they want that ruling, whether it's for their own ego to know they were right, or because it you know it'll let them feel justified in the way they won the game, or kind of justify their loss, you know, make up for that. Like, oh, we played that card wrong. See, I knew he was wrong. I think a lot of people are doing that. You know, they'll they'll read a card. God, I wish I could think of an example because it wasn't a cheating thing. It, uh, it's a guy I play with a lot, um, but a card came down and. Gosh, I cannot remember what it was, but I, I knew he was wrong about it. And he was like, just the way he responded to it, he was almost upset that he was wrong. And he like, he kind of 
argued a couple times on it. She's like, no, that doesn't really make sense. And it was it it wasn't an argument like he wasn't making the argument on behalf of like the card, like, oh, I think the mechanics should work this way. It was, oh man, this really changes my turn. Are you sure it's not how this works? And it, I, I think that probably happens more often than you think. Um, but speaking of uh, card effects, modifications, things like that, the first tune rule, which has said a player may play, um, I don't remember what the exact ruling from the rule book says, but the idea is that you may play one card uh, from your hand on your first turn. You know, first turn, you draw seven, you can play one. That's the advantage, you get an extra card. Um, the, the, like the biggest exception to that, not really an exception because it doesn't break that rule, uh, was Wild Wormhole. You can play Wild Wormhole from your hand, which plays the top card of your deck, and that card was also valid. Um, it, was, it wasn't even really argued by anyone that it should be any different. I don't think there might have been a few people griping about it, but they've changed it now. So, uh, for example, the example they use is Phase Shift, which lets you play a non-Logos card your first turn. Um, you can play that card down, and that will let you play an additional card out of your hand, um, which is a pretty significant change. I don't know if there's any other cards that are affected by that. I, off the top of my head, I think it's just phase shift, which I isn't isn't a super big deal. Um, the best it does is it it clears you out so you can draw a card at the end of your turn, uh, just one. That's still getting through the deck faster. That's still a big advantage. But that's. I mean, I buy one card, I guess, you know. It's if you had mulliganed, you would be at six and then you'd play out down to four, so you'd draw two cards. Um you know, again, I don't know how big of an advantage that gives you. It's kind of a second mulligan ish. Not really, but you know, that's that's something new. Take that for what you will. I don't I don't think it's particularly interesting, but I, I think it's interesting how fast they changed their mind on it. Cause in version seven which we're on version eight right now of the rule book version seven is when they modified the first turn rule saying specifically that during the first first player's first turn of the game, the player cannot play or discard more than one card. Like basically period card. It says specifically card effects cannot modify this rule. And then a couple, what was it? Two months or two weeks or so after we got rule book seven, uh, rule book eight comes out and it's like, oh yeah, no, you can mod the cards can modify that rule. It's cool, and I'm not sure if it was because they got a little bit of backlash in the community or if just internally they're like, no, that's kind of dumb. I mean, I don't, I don't think that it's. I think it again, it, it it could be in preparation of yeah another set. Yeah, that that's something. It, it I think it gives a lot more design space that you can have a card that d would be able to mess that first turn rule. Right, because my guess, it'd be interesting to see kind of statistics. Um, and I actually, gosh, I wish I had been logging this. I have my big spreadsheet that I do wins, losses, and all that crap. Um, but I wish I had logged um, first turn, second turn. Um, because they might be seeing, I don't know how they'd be able to see it, I mean, just internally, I guess. They might be seeing first turns at a significant disadvantage, um, which is the what? case. Yeah, that. That, I disagree you, with you highly. I oh well, you're wrong. Ah, uh, this debate. You're, you're absolutely wrong because <laughs> you know I've how many times I see it on Crucible a lot, and Crucible is a bad example because people are you know doing what they're doing on there, um, but it helps my case, so I won't rag on it. But there have been so many times where 
you know, I'll go my first turn. I'll, you know, I my librarian deck has Wild Wormhole. That's what I mulligan for, just so I can have something. Um, so I'll play Wild Wormhole, and I'll think, all right, you know, I got I got two amber my first turn. Wild Wormhole, and then the card that it played gave me another amber. And their first turn, they'll do this, that, and the other, and they'll end it with six amber. It's like, oh my god, like this game. You know, the game's not over, but the the game it just it changed from being this fun back and forth to being this kind of like you know, more stressful scenario. And it, it happens frequently. I, I don't care what anyone says. First, first player is absolutely without a doubt, 1000% at a disadvantage. I, I think this is confirmation bias. Uh, technically it's confirmation bias on both of our parts, because I also don't have anything to back up my case, like fully solid with the numbers, but I, I just super, I think that having that extra mulligan or the free mulligan, basically it's, it's so beneficial for you. Like you're able to look through your hand and you're able to put something down in play immediately and you're able to start taking control of the board state um, like as soon as you possibly can. Okay, I have a couple of things to address there. Um, it's not confirmation bias because I can totally exclude my personal experience and you can just look at how it works. You know, Yeah, you draw an extra card, you play one single card and then they're free to just go hog wild. Um, I also... I don't think that mulligan is super valuable, especially in the context of Keyforge, because you know it's it's one less card still. You know, whatever you end up at six instead of five. Um, with Keyforge, you draw up to six no matter what. You know, with the with the few exceptions, like it's you know it's not it's not a game where you draw one card at the end of your turn and if and you're just you know I don't know I I just I simply don't agree. I think I would love to see what people in the comments have to say because I I you know what's you know, I, I'd love to see what people have to say in general, and I would love to see you know break break the you know corn rules of Keyforge. Build you know in your mind, build your own deck, your best constructed deck. Like, what is the absolute best case scenario for first turn? Like, how you know how big of an advantage can you really get first turn? Like you mentioned, boards. You know, you have that advantage that 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 first go at board state. Like, you know, you have the advantage at one card on board state. Like the person that gets the advantage is the second person who has this this weak kind of spit up of you know one artifact, one creature, and they just get to vomit all over the board with you know who knows whatever they have in their hand. Um, I don't know. I just I don't buy it. I'll put out an argument in both directions here. On the one hand, I would agree uh, with Nick that. The advantage is if you get a very strong hand as the second player, you can get out to a very early advantage. I don't mind going first because I think I also take something of Steven's perspective, which is I like the ability to craft my hand a little bit. Like I like, all right, uh, let's say I've got seven cards. I can mulligan. I'm at six cards. I've got uh, three of one house, two of another house, and one of a single solo house. Well, I can only play one card this turn. I'll put out the one house, and then I know that going into my next turn, I'm in a position where I'll have some kind of ability to play out a f couple more cards in all likelihood. Um, Nick, the comment you made with regards to always drawing back up to six kind of obliterates the way I think we're trained to think about card advantage in many ways. So the, there's a lot of good arguments on both sides of this debate, I think, but I think I would come down a little bit on Nick's side, if only from the perspective of there is no way to get up to a key. If you are the first player, like there is no card you can play. I think the, the closest you could come 
would be to play uh, Fertility Right, which would give you four in Amber, your opponent too. But there are lots of ways where if you are going second, if you had the right hand, you could get up to a key. Right. I'll, I'll say a couple things about that. You know, you play that Fertility and you've just you know, you've almost sealed the deal in a lot of cases for your opponent to be, you know, six, getting six amber a turn is very uncommon. Getting four amber a turn is not super crazy. Um, and if you've just boosted your opponent up by two in that, you know, you've, it, it seems like a good deal for you to get that four, but you've given them two. And I don't know. I just, I, I don't see it. Um, you also, you made the, the kind of, you created the scenario where, you, you draw up and you have three of one, two of one, and then one of uh, another house. And you play that first house. That's a scenario that I have all the time. And it's it's almost your only option. It's not. You, you can play all sorts of stuff, whatever. Maybe I'm just not a good strategist, strategist, whatever, if that's a word. But you play that one card. You know, you you have, you know, two Sanctum, three Brobnar, one Logos. You know, you get that one Logos card out of your hand. You put it down. Uh, and then what? And the next turn, you've you've got the exact same hand. Do you do you pick logos? You know, assuming it's not a beneficial, you know, like a you know some kind of omni card, whatever. It's just it's a waste. It's a it's a complete waste of a turn. Assume it, like let's pretend it didn't even give you an amber. Like then you've just, I don't know, you've spit something stupid on the board. You're not really going to interact with, you know, your opponent may or may not touch it. You know, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I don't mean to so be so aggressive about it, but I, I. To bring it all the way back around, I would bet that phase shift change has something to do with, you know, one seeing an unbalance uh, between, you know, first and second turn, and also to, like, kind of pad that, uh, or, or, you know, open it up for what an, another set may may throw in there to kind of make it more appealing to go first. Because mm-hmm. as you know, tell me right now. I mean, I guess you wouldn't see it, but. I mean, you'd, you'd see your opponent's reaction. If, even if you love going first, when you roll that die and they, you know, they go first or whatever, they, they you know, almost 100% of the time, your opponent shrugs and sighs and says, well, I guess I'm going first, you know, or, you know, they, it's, it's a, it's a little, it's a, it's a dice game before the game where with, with the except the few exceptions, the goal is to roll the lower number. I mean, that's been my experience and not even just for me. Yeah, doing I, th- that. I think that's a meta thing for you because in my meta going, like I said, going first is we that that's the coveted. Like we just look for it. We don't roll any dice or anything like that because it just has to be randomly chosen anyway. But like going second just seems to be like the worst choice. It, it, it limits you on your options that you get to do on your second turn. I would be fascinated to know if anyone agrees with you on that in the nicest way possible. I, that's why I'll happily keep taking my first position. Then you can just keep hand me first. I'll be happy. I uh, I gotta say it's a scrappy week on library access, and I am loving it because this makes for good uh, podcasting, uh, uh, and it's certainly I think going to be an interesting one to see the comments. There's been a lot of great commenters on YouTube over the last little while. People really throwing in their two cents, agreeing with us, disagreeing with us, laying out their comments. Um, it's an exciting, exciting thing, I think, to have these kinds of disagreements because it really does highlight the variation in the way that the game is played regionally and even at different stores. Like, 
there are pool pl- pools of players that stick to one specific store where their local game is at. And there's people who rove between them. And there's people who are going to be heading down to Emerald City Comic Con for the first time to check out, you know, the organized play that's going to be happening down there and encountering players from entirely different metas that they've never met before in some of the first real organized play. Exciting stuff for Keyforge and exciting times for us to really start figuring out what our assumptions are and whether our assumptions are correct and whether they are borne out by other people's experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I just to clarify, I don't hate Steven. Um, just <laughs> some of his opinions I don't think I came across that way. Whoa, <laughs> scrappy week, scrappy. But week. let's move on to another one that I think is kind of a goofy one and I not a, like a funny one, but a kind of a weird ruling. And I'm curious if you guys agree. Uh, armor prevents damage before it is dealt. So in the scenario of a shadow self, which absorbs damage from uh, his neighbors on either side, um, the only damage he takes is after the armor is spent on the the creature being targeted. So you have a sanctum with, you know, six six power, two armor. You attack, you know, that sanctum creature. Uh, shadow self only takes four damage instead of. The uh, what, what I I effed those numbers up, but he takes the damage minus the armor of that sanctum card. Do you agree with that new ruling? Yeah, that's super weird. Yeah, I I've been playing it that way the entire time because of specifically because of shadows and how poison works. Like that, that's exactly what alluded me to the correct ruling on it. But yeah, this this confirmed my ruling, and I've been playing it correctly, and I'm happy with this ruling. I, I don't disagree with it from a perspective of it making sense but it's a way that i hadn't thought about damage previously and it's kind of in almost in the same category as that cannot may thing we were talking about earlier or that cannot must thing we were talking about earlier which is this is a fiddly thing that you know has to be clarified to make sure that the game is being played consistently but is also one of those things that may not be blatantly obvious from just general play that people are really going to have to keep in mind, especially once we get into competitive areas of play. Like it, I guess it makes sense, but it's also a thing that isn't totally intuitive to make sense. Like you really do have to sit down and think through why the rule is that way. I think to a certain degree, which I think is interesting. It, it reminds me a lot. I, you know, I'm not disputing that it's it should be that way. Um, I wouldn't have guessed it. And if I were writing the rules myself, you know, if I had that executive decision in the boardroom, I'd say like, no, you know, it just all the the damage he absorbs the damage. You know, the the, and I guess you know if you like if you picture it in kind of a goofy way, like a you know a three dimensional battle going on. You know, I suppose the shields would block some of that damage, but you know, whatever. Um, but it reminds me a lot of uh, the whole. God, this is going to be a topic idea. Um, I was going to ask if there's any rules you guys disagree with. I guess I'll give mine. And we can go back to it if you have examples. Um, but it's the Wild Wormhole uh, Caliphy Dragon. Wild Wormhole plays the top card of your deck. If you if that card happens to be Caliphy Dragon, uh, Caliphy Dragon states that you must have seven amber or more to play the card. Uh, the rulings state, I think Brad said it, the card goes back to the top of your deck. And I think that's total nonsense. It's called the card is wild wormhole. It's not, you know, conditional kind of crazy wormhole. And it seems a lot like that. Cards were like the, you know, the the rulings and the the mechanics and all that were pretty straightforward and didn't need to be reinterpreted. 
I mean, I, I suppose some people out there may have made the argument for the shadow self, you know, armor, stuff like that. But I would guess the bulk of them just, you know, like the card says, it absorbs damage from a neighbor. It, I guess, you know, maybe I'm totally wrong. Because I guess if you read the card text, it absorbs damage and not, you know, absorbs the attack. If that's a if that's a phrasing that's ever been used anywhere, I that that could make more sense. But I don't know. I think most people would have read that as absorb the damage. Just, you know, if you're getting attacked, it goes to shadow self instead. Um not you know after the armor it, it seems kind of like a a weird kind of i don't know i don't know how to say it exactly but this kind of just like up and down like loosey goosey kind of like uh you know weaving in and out over and under like these rules uh, mechanics i don't know just kind of conditional things like if this then this if that then that um i don't know if any of that makes sense but it reminds me of the cliffy dragon thing a lot where just like it it didn't it didn't seem like it needed to be altered reinterpreted anything like that but i don't know yeah cliffy dragon made 100 percent of sense if you like where cliffy dragon goes after it comes out that was kind of weird to me um but you if the card you disagree you disagree that wild wormhole shouldn't be able to play cliffy dragon yeah it should not be able to play cliffy dragon if you don't have seven amber because cliffy dragon specifically says that this card can only be only be played and wild wormhole says you play the next card yeah i mean yeah and especially now that cannot is above anything else sure it puts back on top of the deck i mean i i mean as far as the ruling so cannot you know over must whatever uh you know must may you know, neither of them say must may it just i don't know to me like the you know again to be kind of silly about it consider the lore you know whatever it's a wild wormhole it's just shitting cards out onto the field. Like it's it's not, you know, you know, if this, then you may pass. It's a you know, look at the card art. You know, he's crying. Like he, you know, it's it's this, supposed to be this big chaotic crazy thing, not not this weird conditional thing. Like that I don't know. Maybe it makes that it I don't know, maybe that's a ruling because they didn't realize the the potential for that combo and because Cliffy Dragon's such a such a good card, you know, if and when you can get it out that they had a to do win more to... card. Yeah, it is definitely a win more yeah. card. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm 100 about that. That was the correct ruling on uh, it because, like I said, specifically, Wildernhold just lets you play the next card. However, you can't play the next card because of whatever condition the card has. You know, doesn't matter it, for Cliffy specifically, but any other card that making more sets. If there's any restriction on the card, it you still have to have the the board state to be able to play the card because that's all wild wormhole does it just goes take the card of the deck and play it as normal it doesn't specifically say as normal on the card because that's should have been implied it should say play as normal on the card which would completely have gotten rid of this debate but yeah it it makes sense in the rules it's not 100 percent worded correctly but like it, in my head, how I read the cards, it, it made sense to put it back on top of the deck or to put it in the discard, which is what I actually did in the beginning. Because I was like, oh, I can't play it and it doesn't tell me where this goes. Uh, What's the name of the creature who you have to pay three to put them out and when they die, you get five? Do you know the creature I'm talking about? I know the card art. I don't know the name. <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry. I just spent like 30 seconds like trying to Google it on my phone so that I could make this point around it. Um, 
as much as I think the Kelphi dragon ruling makes sense now that they've clarified the cannot must aspect of it, it does kind of bug me because I feel like it takes away some of the wildness of wild wormhole. And I've talked before on this podcast about my love for wild wormhole, just being a wacky thing happens. Maybe it's advantageous in a lot of cases. It will be, you get a creature that you didn't get to put out before an effect happens that may advantage you, or maybe something really bad happens. Maybe you have board advantage and you wild wormhole, a gateway to dis. Maybe you wild wormhole, you know, a champion's challenge or something like that, that really affects the state of the board that was advantageous to you previously. You know, there's all kinds of ways in which wild wormhole can do both good and bad things. You know, even just today, I wild wormholed out a, um, uh, the shadows creature where it's steal two, and when you die, your opponent steals two. Except that my opponent didn't have any amber to steal. So basically, I put out a thing that was then a target for them to get two amber for free off of me. That's Wild Wormhole. And so it kind of bums me out to see, like, one of the wildest applications of Wild Wormhole come to an end. Although, if they are consistent with this ruling, which it looks like they are, I guess I have to accept that. So, I mean, uh, I agree that with the spirit of Nick's argument while agreeing with the wording of the ruling. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done some real bad wormholes myself. Like, I've wild wormholed into Keyhammer and just been like, oh, here's your six amber. Whoops. And and I love it. That has that to be the worst one. Me. That has to be um, the worst and, one. And I honestly love wild wormhole that it has that kind of random effect in a game that is built around so much, for lack of a better term, RNG. A lot of this game, you know, it, it is delved and lives and thrives in random. And I love that. Uh, it's absolutely one of the best things about this game. It's a good selling point to me. Other than that, just being a spend $10, get a deck, you're good to go. Um, but I think as long, and I think you're 100% right on this, is as long as they are consistent with their rulings and their wordings, it's okay. And I'm okay if I'm wrong with how I interpret cards that eventually come out and they're like, hey, we didn't mean it to do like this. We actually meant it to do this. And that's cool, whatever. I'm okay being wrong as long as the game is consistent. And the card you were looking for was a true Baru, by the way, from these. Yeah, that guy's a dick. I hate that guy. What? He's, you, just, you just pay a little bit of Amber. He comes out and he's a seven power taunt. Well, I don't have a deck with him in it, so he's entirely a dick to me. That's fair. Okay. Once I get a deck with him, and he'll he'll be like my best pal. We'll be going to the movies, get an ice cream. It'll be awesome. Man, I want some ice cream now. Here's an interesting one. Uh, if a player is using a deck that has chains applied to it at the start of the game and takes a mulligan, they do not shed a chain from the mulligan, but do draw one fewer cards than they had before the mulligan as per the normal mulligan rules, which is kind of oddly written, I feel uh, like. Um. And I, I guess it's saying, I, I honestly I can't understand it. Um, so, you can't use a mulligan to break a chain. That's all. Right. So you you draw. You have a chain. You draw six at the beginning of your turn, and then you mulligan down to. It doesn't specify. Do you mulligan down to five, or do you mulligan to? You mulligan down to five. You you lose one card from the mulligan from your original draw, which was the six. Oh yeah, but yeah, do draw one fewer than they had. Okay. A lot of these things, um, this is just an old man gripe, but it seems like a lot of these rules, like the Restringuntas one, I remember there's a big discussion about it. These like rules clarifications are like almost as complicated as 
you know, as the, the situation was before, not all of them, a lot of them, you know, draw, bring a lot of closure to certain discussions. But like, I, it seems like a lot of these are just like, not see, you know, in the, in the context of something where you're having to like clarify a ruling, it should just be so freaking simple. Just, you know, no, no fancy language, no running in circles, just here's how the card works. And a lot of times it seems like, you know, in the context of this, like it didn't need to be a, a whole paragraph explaining how that works. As somebody who comes from other card games, like it, sometimes there are some weird interactions that need to be explained out in a paragraph, and that's that's normal for any card game. Um, more so with Fantasy Flight card games, I've noticed, for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, just every once in a while, there's an interaction that the game developers didn't think about or didn't see coming, and they just need to explain, you know, the actual, like, why it works the way it does sometimes it's i don't disagree that sometimes the paragraphs kind of run on a bit but it's good to know their reasoning so then you can apply it to other scenarios that happen down the road so one of the one of the interesting ones and i'm gonna i'm gonna mess this whole thing up um it says destroyed effects happen immediately before a creature is destroyed and leaves play um any other constant abilities that reference destroyed creatures happen after destroyed effects and constant abilities do not trigger if the creature with the constant ability is destroyed so I think the big card that was discussed during it, and I don't know if it had like a little section uh, at the end with, um, God, it was with Bad Penny. It was a card that said, you know, when the, when your opponent plays this card, it says, I think it's a dis one. Uh, Yuxi Bolter. What, what is that? The, it, was the, it was the purge card yeah, from yep, Mars. Yep, when a card is destroyed, it's instead purged. Um, the, you know, any, I think most people would have read that initially as, you know, like your Bad Penny it gets destroyed, you know, instead of being destroyed, it's purged. Um, I don't know. I still just, now it says your bad penny goes to your hand regardless because that destroyed effect triggers before anything else happens, which I, you know, I'll accept it. I won't be, I'm, and I'm not just grouchy. I'm not just complaining about all these rules. I actually, I actually agree with you on this one. Yeah. I, some I of these are just rule. genuinely strange. I, I, I think that bad penny should be purged, but. Eh. Right. Let me, let me roll a card at you here and. Without looking at the rule book, you tell me how you think this should be played or how it has been played, because I'm sure you've come across it. You probably have decks within it. Crump is a six power uh, a creature. Uh, he is uh, has the uh, statement on his card. After an enemy creature is destroyed fighting Crump, its controller loses one. If you use Crump to fight another six power creature, assuming there's no armor in play, he destroys the creature. Does his effect happen before he is destroyed? His effect does not happen because it is a permanency effect because there's no actual like titles or tags to it. There's no like mm -hmm. fight or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, the effect will not fire because the creature is removed from play. He is in that he's dead before the effect would actually go off of the end. Okay, so this is a contrast to something like Grenade Snib, which is destroyed, your opponent loses two. The bold destroyed effect takes place before Grenade Skib, Snib rather goes to the uh, discard pile, which is why there is a difference between Crump and Grenade Snib in terms of what happens in those scenarios. Is that correct? Correct. I Good to know. I agree with the ruling. Um, I understand why. I think it's wrong. I, I like I you know I get I get why it's the way it is, but you know especially it's it's not you know the destroyed effects have been 
they've been clarified you know that those those don't trigger you're not destroyed but the uh you know fight effects don't trigger which it's just that that seems wacky too that that affects i don't know i just i don't agree with most of that that those trigger those effects don't trigger so the reason why crump doesn't have a bold text fight next to his ability is because crump's ability will affect will work on both your turn when bold fights bold fight effects would happen and the opponent's turn when bold fight effects do not do not trigger. Ah, okay. Fight only happens on your turn. That's the reason why Crump doesn't have anything. It just is playing basic. After an enemy creature is destroyed fighting Crump, its controller loses one. Crump still has to be on the field, but because it's a not bolded term, it affects on both your turn and your opponent's turn. Yeah, I think that's goofy. It's... It is weird, but once you realize that that's how the game is designed, you can see like why the other cards have some things like um, not Eater Dead. What's the other discard I'm thinking of? Um, I'm looking for it right now. The it's list. one that like purges cards from your opponent's discard. No, it's the one that grabs them. Uh, Overlord Grecking. That's what it is. I got to it before I actually got down to it. Um, after an enemy creature is destroyed fighting Grecking, put that creature into play under your control. So that works on both players' turns. However, the effect doesn't fire if Grecking is not on the field at the end of the fight. Does that make more sense when I, when I explain it in that, in that direction? It does, but this comes back to the thing I was talking about earlier, and I've mentioned several times over the course of this episode, is that... Maybe it was inevitable for get us to get to this place where the, all these very fiddly rules have to be very clear. And I guess now that we're approaching the time of triumph when organized play is going to be a thing and there will be like a world masters of Keyforge or what have you, we have to have all these things be as clear as humanly possible and any ambiguity be stamped out. It does feel a little bit to me like a, a game which I feel like it was very simple initially is starting to have a lot of very fiddly rules that you have to keep in mind and that there's probably going to be arguments about at the table. So I'm hoping that whoever ends up judging for your local events is brushing up on this stuff. That does it does it count if it's sometimes me? Because it's I sometimes me. I especially hope that you're <laughs> brushing up on this, Stephen. Hit the books, buddy. Uh, to be fair, to be fair, my local game store—it's it, mostly Adam, who's also our magic and all the other fantasy flight. He does all the judging for stuff. I step in once when he—we had a tournament that was scheduled, and he got stuck out of town due to some unforeseen circumstances. So, like, I, I stepped in and helped Teod. But like during during open play nights, if I'm there, I'm usually the one that gets asked questions because there just isn't a judge there. So. It's me for for better for worse. Hey Nick, how closely have you studied the rules? Like, is it a thing where when you first started working on setting up the KeyForge.com and started being an active player in the community and you know talking to your local game store about the game and you know participating in local tournaments, did you ever spend like a good serious amount of time? reading like the rules proper or did you sort of approach it in the same way that I did where I'm a lazy guy so I just played a bunch of games on the crucible and then a bunch of games live and kind of learned the rules that way 
which, you know, has the advantage of one, you're having fun by playing a game while you're learning, but has the disadvantage of it's very easy to misinterpret rules because you're not paying attention closely to why the game is designed in a certain way. Did either of those happen or was it a combination? Um, so as somebody that didn't come from magic, um, I didn't feel the need to overanalyze the card rules. Uh, Keyforge is super simple. Uh, it's becoming less so now with the kind of, you know, the things we're talking about this episode. But um, like when it, you know, right when it came out, it was very simple. It was very straightforward. The cards reacted as they said they did on the card, and for the for the vast majority of situations, no more than that. Um, so it was real, you know, a lot of people have come from magic and interpret, either interpret things how they would be interpreted in magic or assume that much like magic, there's some much deeper meaning to each card's effects and mechanics. And there's actually way more going on than just, you know, what's on there and these, all these conditional interactions and things like that. And as somebody that didn't come from that, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't, I don't have that background, so I wasn't worried about those things. Um, for the most part, I... I read the cards as they were. I don't think I read the rule book. I, I think I pulled it up when I first bought, you know, I bought two decks. I brought them to the office and I played with somebody. I think we pulled up the rule book just to see, you know, how, how turns went, stuff like that. And I know we screwed up a lot initially. Um, and how I really learned was just reading on Facebook, reading the discussions that went down in the arguments and stuff like that, because they, you know, they saved me the trouble and they, quickly brought up the you know the scenarios that everyone else was encountering you know like i like i keep saying with that small card pool and stuff like that small number of mechanics there's really not a whole lot of different you know moving parts different things that can go wrong it's really a a small group of them and if you just kind of you know not necessarily now because there there's kind of a consensus among everything and people have learned but right at the beginning you know the the when the facebook group first popped up you know same with the subreddit um there was only a, a couple rules and things like that that were brought up over and over again that like really needed to be brought to people's attention. You know, oh, this is how this actually works. These are how these interactions are handled. Um, and now I, I still reference it pretty frequently, and I wish it were more more filled out. Um, but Keyforge Compendium, you can search for a card, and then you click the FAQ section of that card. Um, and Or not FAQ, at the bottom, questions and answers. Um, and then you can see, you know, it, for the most part, the idea is supposed to be any dispute with a card can be resolved there. Cause they, they list all the, you know, all the, all the clarified ruling stuff like that. You know, I think they even include stuff where Brad and an email or whatever, is just like, Nope, this is how this works. Like right now I've got the biomatrix backup one pulled up. Um, and the, the only question and answer on it is how does the errata on January 17th change how this card works? Um, and it just clarifies that there have been a bunch of times where I've gone to it and it hasn't come through. There will be, you know, times where like I'm confused on this ruling, but I guarantee it's a confusing enough card that there's going to be a clarification on the site and there hasn't been. And that's happened more often than I would like. And not that I'm complaining because it's a free service, but I wish they would, you know, find a way, maybe, you know, change the background color, of it, make the background color of it red, something like that and make a, just like a community consensus answer, which I, I see how that gets very messy and it, you know, but even just, you know, for the next couple months, while there's, there's still rules that need to be clarified by FFG, but FFG's kind of tight lipped about it. 
you know, interactions with cards that are like being brought up every day on Facebook and are occurring, you know, dozens, hundreds of times a day, you know, whatever there, there should be like a community consensus of just like, you know, based on these other rules, here's what we're pretty sure is the case and have it, you know, in giant red text, just because in the, in the context of a, you know, a disagreement at a casual game, that would be infinitely better than just, you know, whoever can get the loudest or whoever's willing to, you know, be angrier about the, you know, the way they think the card should interact. But for the most part, you know, I relied on that kind of stuff and just really the, the Facebook group and stuff like that. And I did want to make a comment. Um, we were talking about how that, uh, you know, the destroyed effects work, uh, biometrics backup now, you know, in the face of that discard that purges the card, as far as, you know, that, that ruling with the destroyed has worked, uh, that card doesn't actually get purged. It goes into your archive. Uh, which I don't agree with. Sorry, the biometrics backup goes into your archive? No, 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 no. The card that it's on. Yeah, oh. it doesn't get purged because it's destroyed. You may put this creature into its owner's archives. Yep. Okay, so instead okay, of getting gotcha, purged gotcha. as it should, it uh, it ends up in the archive, which is it. I guess that there's not a lot of scenarios where cards have, you know, destroyed effects like that, but, um, you know, I. I don't know. I don't know if they'll keep it confusing or if they'll, you know, Richard Garfield in an interview said that there were a bunch of mechanics that got scrapped or delayed in favor of keeping it simple initially. Um, so I wonder if they change, you know, some wording like that, you know, um, maybe not destroyed, but, you know, the, introduce some additional things, you know, for, for, I can't think of anything on the spot, but maybe a killed, you know, something like that, that just kind of clarifies, you know, here's what happens when this happens or, you know, um, like remove, you know, removed. I don't know. They they could have something that like separates those those. Uh, you know, when it's killed, when it's I don't know. Well, they already did with like Ublut because Ublut just goes. This card is immediately purged. It's not attacked. It's not destroyed. It's just purged. Sure. So they already have stuff in the game that's around the same idea of that. But I'll tell you, there is one great example of a dynamic or a rule or a thing in Keyforge, which is totally underdeveloped because it only exists on, I think, maybe one card. Splash. Yep. Uh, there's a few cards that have Splash, but yeah, it's definitely... Okay, I've only seen one or I've only, you know, recognized one when I've seen it. And it's like, it feels to me like a thing that snuck its way out of beta. Uh, I mean, I... Mm-hmm. I still think that this is a beta and that's, I, I think that we are uh, the, the call of the archon set is it's kind of open beta test. Um, that's just the way it kind of feels to me for better, or for worse. Um, and I've got, again, nothing signifying that this is or isn't. It's just how it feels. The cards are that they kind of just threw things at the wall and see what stuck. So I, I think that, yeah, I sell think half a million of your open beta. I mean, you know, that's, that's real good. But at the same time, I think that's part of where a little bit of this confusion is coming from, where there's still like most of the cards are pretty well set. They're great. They do what they need to. It's a good time. Some of them, they're like, yeah, we'll leave this effect on there. We'll see how it goes. And again, it's not better. It's not worse. It's just how it feels of a game. Um, but and I can be completely completely off base on this one this could be absolutely the intended perfection that ffg envisioned at the beginning um but there's there's just so many of these like little nuancey things that it still 
feels a little beta to me. Um, then again, that being said, I, I always go back to Netrunner because that's one of my bases of card games is, is Netrunner was the first card game that I really threw a bunch into. Oh, or don't look at the Netrunner FAQ. Oh, you think you think there are little like two or three pages of FAQ is bad on here. The Netrunner FAQ is a monster. Like uh, almost every set had a different FAQ related to it. So I'm hoping that I, I don't mind cards being clarified. I, I'm hoping that we never get to the point where it was just FAQ on FAQ on this FAQ contradicts this FAQ from earlier this year. I don't ever want that. But I'm okay if they clarify some things up and they're like, eh, this is the way we intended it. We need to clarify our words, but this is how it needs to be. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I would guess, and this goes along with people worrying about how they've like screwed up other games in the past and you know underproduced them or not paid enough attention to them or um, you know screwed up their online counterparts and stuff like that. Uh, people are concerned about that because of FFG's track history that I'm only slightly familiar with. Um, but it, it ties into the rule thing you're talking about. I would guess it would be the same as, you know, say, I don't know, say this is a, a really dumb example. Think of you, think of it as like you have a child and you put that baby in a commercial and for some reason it blows up and it's the number one Gerber baby and people are throwing million dollar contracts at your face. Like I think at the point that it, you know, your baby and their baby in this case, Keyforge, just like skyrockets in popularity. It's not this kind of casually popular game, like, uh, you know, I don't know. Some someone will get mad at me for saying this, but I think it's accurate. Like Netrunner or uh, Destiny or whatever, these games that you know they have a decent following, but they're not these world famous followings. You know, they're they're not getting talked about like you know, Magic and Yu Gi Oh and Pokemon. Um, you know, the second it skyrockets up to that, you go and you get lawyers and advisors and this and that. And like, I, I think they, you know, whether they plan for it or not, they're seeing all this crazy success and they have no choice but to like, you know, oh shit, like we were going to do this in a really lazy way. You know, we, we were going to have a, you know, three people working on this and one PR person, this and that. And now that it's so popular, you know, it's rapidly gaining popularity. I would guess they're, they have, you know, they're, they're smart enough to know, you know, we, we need to really treat this like a, you know, like a delicate, you know, like a newborn baby or like a ticking bomb or something like that. You know, I, that's that's just my guess. I, I don't think they'll make the same mistakes that they've made with other projects in the past simply because they can see the, you know, the, the popularity. They can see the, the you know, fragile glass baby in their hands that you know, they can't afford to break. I would, I would guess. That I could be wrong. You know, they could they could screw it up, or they maybe they also maybe you know maybe weren't as bad with their past projects that you know people make it sound like. But I don't think that they intend on it being lazily in any way, shape, or form. But I definitely think that the the keyforge kind of did blow up a little bit faster than they expected. Um, that it doesn't seem like they've been lazy about anything, like. This is pretty standard FFG trickling out information. Like um, we got the news, the news thing from when they talked about the time of triumph happening. We didn't really learn anything new from that. It was just a big kind of tease. And they put a little bit into exactly what all of their other 
Um, tournament structures have been like, they just confirmed that they're using the tournament structure, that chain is going to be a thing, but we knew that. Like, this is kind of standard for FFG, at least news-wise. So I don't think that they're being lazy in any anyway. They're they're strategically on schedule for their news, um, which is very light and very, very teasery. Um, yeah, I'm not complaining about the the rate at which they release news or anything like that. Um, I think there could be arguments made about like certain rulings needed to be addressed sooner rather than later. You know, things that were confusing and people kept asking about, you know, and even tagging them in and stuff. But I just mean, you know, and I. I'm not a good person to like bring this up even because I can't name a specific example, but I've heard enough about FFG's track history to know that they've, they've done damage to some of their big, you know, big titles that didn't need to, you know, go the way that they did, whether it be they, they died or, you know, they had licenses revoked or this or that. Um, they, they didn't keep up demand for cards. And I mean, we're, we're seeing that with Keyforge, but I, I give them a total pass for that because it, I assume it's super freaking difficult to anticipate how much a, a brand new game like that's going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, if it keeps up, if, uh, you know, if by the middle of, and this is being really generous, I think if by the middle of 2019, if I still can't go to my store and buy Keyforge, you know, if it's, if it's out the day, you know, if they're out of stock the day it comes in, then I'll, you know, I'll I'll start pointing the finger back at them again, but with the exception of the you know the card supply stuff, I know that's been a thing in the past for games that were you know years old that they they didn't produce enough you couldn't buy it, um, and I'm I, I'm assuming with the way Keyforge is panning out, you know especially being backed by Richard Garfield and stuff like that, I, I think they have enough fire under their asses to not let anything go wrong like may have happened in the past. I, I agree with you on that especially looking at now, like they've got the production lines going, they're shipping pretty well full force. Like my, my store has not have to have a, we were never out of cards and we've only had to do that weird limit on decks for a week. Okay. We, we, we just got a limit on ours. Really? Yeah. We like just last week, they put a two per person limit. Um, and they've had to, they got us a shipment in on, Monday of last no maybe it was Tuesday or something they got a shipment in very early and they had to put boxes aside for this upcoming Monday like a week later so they could do sealed like yeah it, they, I had that yeah it, it was so uncertain whether they'd get it or not and my store has been good about it like I I guess I could be wrong but from what I understand the reason cards don't their short stores don't have cards is almost exclusively the fault of the card shop um, I think there's some times where the you know the the rep from whatever the company's called that starts with an A that rep Asmodeus um, maybe, some close to that um, maybe the one that handles the actual distribution of it I I think they they do different regional things depending on the area but what happens is you have to place you have to be placing like one order ahead of time like you have to place an order you know day one and then place another order day seven and then you get your day one order on day 14 and then you need to place an order that day even though you have another one because if not you'll have a a gap that's that's that may not be exactly how it works but that that general idea is how i think it's working is that they're waiting until they get their product and they're placing another order and by that time they're like two or three weeks behind and they're just fall i don't know if it's because the card shops don't have money to to fund it or what but 
my shop's been really good about that. They've got a consistent, you know, weekly drop in because they're ordering like two, two week, two order week intervals ahead of time. That's, that's my understanding of how that works. Asmodeus is a deity in Pathfinder. The company we're thinking about is Asmodee. I had to look it up because I'm like, wait, no, Asmodeus does not sound right. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't pretend to know anything on the on the card side, like or on the on the shop like distribution side on that. I just know that that's the company that they order from. Um, but you know, like other than like I said, that one week where they got like two two boxes. I think it was like twenty or thirty decks. That was the only time they ever put a limit on it. And after that, like I said, we've been. Mm-hmm. It's been great. We've been able to keep a hold on things at my current store. Um, we just had a sealed that they set a couple decks aside, or I think they set aside two or three display boxes, and that was all that we needed for that. So, like, I, I haven't had any problems getting it locally except for that one single thing. So, I, I don't think they are screwing the pooch on distribution. I, I think that they realized after the first couple weeks of oh this this game is great everyone's loving it let's put full full production let's go and I, I think that they've fixed any problem that they ever would have had for it. I think that they finally finally figured out what they're doing with it and going forward and being like all right this is great let's keep going I think we might be running into a case where our experiences are vastly different because of where we live. Uh, Steven out on the East coast and Nick in central and me over on the West coast of Canada. Uh, So basically the ends of the earth, as far as a lot of distributors of things are concerned um, because there's started to become a shortage in Vancouver over the last little while. Uh, Some stores have not been able to restock some stores have been doing the limited or we can't sell you what we have in stock because we need it for our upcoming sealed events. Um, and every time I've asked, it's always been, yeah, we're trying to get more and no commitment from them there. So it's quite possible that they, they all fell afoul of the thing Nick was talking about there. I cannot pretend to understand how the ordering works and I have no insight into it, but it is the part of me that wonders, you know, are some areas really prioritize because of their relationship with the distributor and some areas where, you know, smaller markets have just not had the same priority because they're smaller markets. And the idea is that if you don't feed the larger market, then the demand will die down and that could overall affect adoption of the game. I would be interested to know if anybody has any numbers anywhere that could shed some light on this, but I suspect that it's probably not the kind of thing that anybody wants out and publicized. Uh, certainly not so that the rival game makers could see it or anything like that. got a couple more rules. Uh, one that everyone agrees with, I think, except for the people who want to cause trouble. Uh, a lone creature in a battle line is a flank creature and is on both left and right flanks. Yeah, we knew that. Yep. Well, some people crazy. Didn't. Some people like to argue it. Um, a creature that has been stunned can be targeted by a stun effect again, uh, but it doesn't do anything. That makes sense. So, uh, Smash doesn't have to stun itself if you know Smash is a play effect stun a creature. Uh, Smash doesn't have to stun itself if played on a field with o- uh with only other like already stunned creatures. I'm glad to hear that. Um. Because that is an absolute explicit 
clear thing because I feel like that's one of those ones where misplays, um, if you interpret the rules differently, are, would be a lot more common. Oh, yeah. I, I Even in my local meta, we had people on both sides of that fence. So I, I could see it. I could have seen it going either direction. I'm glad it went the direction that I think is the better way for the game, even though I don't agree with it. Um, I, I feel like you should stun. If you stun a creature that's already stunned, you're not stunning that creature. So I was in the camp that Smash would have to stun itself. Um, that being said, it's better for the game of Smash. You know, if if you are actively playing a card that hurts yourself in the long run, that seems terrible for game design. So I'm I'm glad the way it went. We've got one one more rule that I have on my list. Uh, if I missed any, let me know. But I think it's the the only other big one. It's not even a big one. Um, says you may play one non Logos card for each play of Phase Shift. Um, and it also clarifies something that I think everyone already knew. Uh, the non-Logos cards don't have to be played immediately after playing Phase Shift because Phase Shift says you can play one non-Logos card this turn, not you know immediately after. But I guess there was some disagreement that if you played two Phase Shift, you could still only play one non-Logos cards, which doesn't make any sense Yeah, it didn't to make me. sense either. Um, yeah, but now it's been clarified that if you have two Phase Shift, or if you can somehow pull it off twice, um, or more than that, I guess, you can play multiple non-Logos cards per turn. Yeah, that that's also a, a good rule for... That's a good change. Yeah. Rule of six is uh, something that I feel like they could assert a little more strongly on occasion because uh, I like sort of st- the, the, the stacking of effects feels very intuitive to me. You play two library access, accesses, you get library access times two. You play two uh, of uh, phase shifts, you get to do it twice. Like that, that makes sense and feels very intuitive and easy to grasp to me. So, yeah, I think just even asserting that, yeah, they stack, but only up to six is a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's all I've got on the the uh, rule book changes. There's some other ones in there that are are insignificant or, you know, like really obvious, not even worth discussing, I think. But did I miss anything uh, super good that went down in the rule book? No, I think you hit all the good ones. You covered all the ones that I was familiar with. Okay. Yep, and it looks like we talked about freaking rule changes for an hour yeah, and a half, did. which is which is our episode, um, which is good because it's on people's mind. Um, I don't know. A- anything else you guys were just like desperate itching to talk about or or should we call it on this one? I, I feel like the game just took off. So the Age of Discovery ending and entering the time of triumph, like that feels both very fast, but also very exciting. Like, I don't know if it's a case of them being like, all right, let's strike while the iron is hot. Or if it was always planned to be this way. But uh, man, uh, interesting to see what's going to change. I'll go back to what Steven said. Uh, I think it was Steven. I don't know. Somebody said it. Um, it was that, you know, everyone got really excited about, oh, man, it's the, it's the, you know, it's part two. It's, you know, whatever they call it, episode two, chapter two, whatever it was. You know, it's, it's the next thing. To me, this really feels like the first thing. You know, like it, you know, the era of discovery, whatever. Um it's just it was kind of this this open beta, I guess, and I'm not complaining about it. I have no gripes with it at all. But everyone acting like, oh my gosh, like it's you know number two, it's time for the next big thing. It's like no, I think this is the this is kind of the first thing. It's you know competitive play isn't even really starting yet. Like it's we're we're in the second thing or entering the second thing, and you know competitive play hasn't even begun really. 
um, you know, chain bound, you know, actual like being recognized by the company. Um, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm just, I'm just stating that it, it is interesting, but it's, I think it's more of a like, all right, we're out of the beta and now let's begin. I can feel you on that. Which I, I, I guess it makes sense in like the wording, the way they phrased it, you know, but that that's just kind of my takeaway from it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't super excited about the, the announcement of, you know, the, the next thing. Cause it just, it seemed like the first thing hadn't begun. So this is kind of the, the first one in my yeah, mind. See, the only thing that really like did anything for me for the key forge announcements that came out. And like, I, I agree with you. I think this is the, the first step where like before it was, trying to get the game out, showing people the game, getting the hype going for it. This, the time of triumph is the big step for these guys, for, for the game in general. Um, the only thing that like grabbed me was like, all right, this is what's going on is the vault tour. And we knew it was kind of coming, but them putting down dates and being like exactly where they're going. I bought tickets to Gen Con. I'm still looking for a hotel. So we're going to see if I can keep my tickets for Gen Con. Cause if I can't, find a place to sleep i'm not going but it was the big decider that basically was like yep i guess i'm going to gen con now and my friends have always gone i know a couple people who they go every single year without doubts um one of my good friends is a game designer who throws a big party at gen con every year so i i've always had incentive to go but this has been the first year that i've been like okay nope i'm going for this i want to go to the vault tour uh i want to get you know, I, I, I don't even want to say I want to get some of the swag, but I really want to see this this game in a giant competitive setting in that regard. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for the the time of triumph for me is that Gen Con is going to be a real fun time. I would agree with you in that I was not planning to go to Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, and now I'm kind of tempted. Yeah, I, but isn't that like... Uh, oh no, it's in March. Yeah, you got some time. I was like, isn't that like next month? Like, you got to make a choice quick. Oh, wait, no. I don't know. I've never been to Emerald City. Come, I've never been on that side of the, the country, so. Yeah, well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it all all pans out. And uh, hopefully they start, you know, with the, the chain bound is what I'm really looking forward to. You know, the vault tour, it's cool. Um, if you're wanting to shell out a bunch of money for couple days worth of you know play i guess but the you know that's only i'm not i promise i'm not just being a grouchy old man about it i'm just like stating my honest opinion about it it's like it you know it's cool it's interesting but like you know what how many places is it five ten something like that you know a weekend it's it's not a super not even a newsworthy thing it seems like it should have been a stop. 12 12 yeah that's nothing i mean Really. No, but it's all, all 12 of those spaces are going to be like the big events and it's covering most of the United States. Uh, you got Washington, you got Denver, Atlanta, sure. uh, Columbus, it's, it's Indianapolis, a, you know, it and then a, a lot a decent of amount. you. Is and it's a, it's a quick, you know, four hour Germany, drive Italy. and only a couple hundred dollars in hotel stays and tickets and this and that to be able to play, you know, Keyforge for a couple days. Sure. Again, like I said, it's not the only reason I'm going to go to Gen Con. It's just the deciding factor. Sure, yeah. I mean, my, my point was more that it just wasn't a particularly, you know, amazing, you know, groundbreaking thing. You know, it just, it seemed, they, they could have appealed to many more people and 
something more substantial if they had like actually put some some dates on chain bound events and stuff like that like when your your lgs can start doing those actual like real hardy events i believe ours is starting the 22nd i think i think ours is starting up we either so we we have our tournaments every other saturday i believe our first one is gonna be the uh the 9th of february i believe is what our first chain bound is gonna start um but i I, i'm not 100 percent don't please don't quote me on that okay because i yeah i hadn't heard anything about a date when you know when that would open up to people i think that opens up when they when they do the update which is going to be uh tuesday the app update okay maybe yeah i'm looking right now just in case but i okay like i i do not have a official my my official word for my game store is is that they will be going to them quickly um that's the netrunner group let me type in keyforge not netrunner thanks I feel like the next time we record this podcast, there's going to be a lot to discuss around that app. Update. Oh, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. So chain bound events are a thing that very shortly into the time of triumph. Um, and then it goes on to when they're, when they're going to get their seasonal and seasonal premium kits. Um, not on the 22nd, but possibly shortly after that. That that is all the information okay. that my local game store is going to give me. Okay, I mean that's that's interesting. Uh, I'm curious to see when it'll when it'll go live. You know, everywhere um, it might be with the update, and then I guess it's up to the different stores to adapt it. But that's that's what I'm more interested in than anything out of the the whole new, you know, time of triumph or whatever it is. Um, it's the actual like beginning of competitive play. Um. Yeah, but that's that. We spent a good hour and 40 minutes talking about rules. Uh, hopefully we shed some light on some stuff if people were not up to date with that new news. Um, but otherwise, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, like always, don't forget to check out thekeyforge.com. Uh, we got all sorts of cool articles going up, um, all sorts of new stuff. we got a forum. We've got a store locator. Um, we've got a podcast section media section it's it's constantly growing um a couple things um if you like the show uh do us a huge 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 favor and rate it wherever you listen to it um youtube you know whatever thumbs up it comment subscribe i, I don't care you've heard that before but if you listen to it on uh, apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, whatever uh throw you know throw however many stars you think is fair leave, leave it a review um, cause that's how the shows pop up. You know, when people search for Keyforge. It's the ones that are, um, like graciously reviewed that pop up. So, you know, we, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Keyforge. You know, if you, if you can't or don't want to throw a dollar in our tip jar, that's totally okay. Throw us a bone and leave us a rating and a review that, that helps way more than, you know, like it's it, like you listening to this, who's thinking I could do that, but I don't know if I will. You should, cause it's really helpful. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. Um, But other than that, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week.